Will you pray with me? Lord, bless this beautiful day that you have made. Be with those who are suffering in the heat. We thank you for the little corner of our country is still bearable. But we ask that you would be with all the churches this morning, all the people who are gathered to hear your word, here and everywhere, where it is hot, where it is cooler, and where hearts are kindled to hear your word and do your will. In your name we pray. Amen. Finish this phrase for me. Kill them all. How does the rest go? Kill them all. Oh, come on. You've heard it. You've seen it on T-shirts and bumper stickers and ball caps and stickers. Kill them all. Let God sort them out. There you go. Yeah, you've seen it, right? I know you've heard it. Sounds like a uh, mission statement for a military unit, right? But it's not. <laughs> Do you know who said it? Was it General George Patton? Sounds like something he would have said. Now, it wasn't old blood and guts Patton, but it was a commander of an army and a monk of all people. His name was Arnaud Almaric. He was a Catholic monk of the Cistercian order and commander of an army of French crusaders. These French crusaders, however, weren't the type we're most familiar with. That is, the ones who went to Jerusalem to, to take Jerusalem back from the Muslim Ottoman Empire. No, Arnaud's crusaders were on a mission from God much closer to home. They set out to put an end to a cult of Christians in southern France and Spain who for some 66 years had been promoting a perverted version of Christianity. In fact, it was so off the rails from the historic apostolic church, these people had to be stopped. They were the Cathars. And what began in the mid-1100s as a reasonable, loving attempt by the church and several of its popes to get the Cathars to come to their senses and believe and confess the truth ultimately ended in a bloody massacre on this day in 1209. Now, I've heard some strange things come from some people's mouths over the years when it comes to who God is and how he relates to us. I've had a few encounters with people who drop by the church, their minds damaged by years of substance abuse, and they try to tell me about Jesus and the Bible and what and whatnot, and it's like far out stuff from way beyond left field. Or on, on another occasion, uh, one of our youth went to, uh, you know, graduated high school, goes down to uh, college in California, and uh, <clears throat> not a Christian college, but nevertheless, he started a, a Bible study group. Good for him, right? Uh, that's not easy to do on a secular college campus. Starts a Bible study and gets to know the people in his study and gets to know this one other guy. Uh, and then he, you know, several months after he, he goes to college, he texts me and says, hey, I know this guy and he's from this particular uh, branch of teaching. Can you, can you tell me, can you look it up? So I look it up and it's as if this person 
had never had any contact with any Christian or Christianity or any teaching and just read the Bible and then just said, well, this is what it means to me. I mean, it was like science fiction almost. But if you want to learn about some strange beliefs, look up any of the heresies of the early and medieval church. You'll be amazed. You wonder, how could any of anyone have believed any of that stuff? The story of the Cathars is bizarre and lengthy, and you didn't come here for a history lesson, so here's the short version. The Cathars believed God was two gods, one good, one evil. The good God was the God in the New Testament scriptures, and the evil God was the one in the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus was an angel that only appeared to be human, and he didn't die and rise from the tomb. We humans are spirit, are spirits of angels, neither male nor female, and we're trapped in this material world until we're reincarnated into something perfect. And, and it goes on and on. I mean, most of these things the Cathars believed weren't anywhere close to what the apostles had taught and wrote. On top of that, the Cathars had no centralized teaching or written doctrine. So, depending on where you lived within their geographical realm, you'd get varying ideas and theologies. And this really upset the bishops and the Pope and the Catholic Church. I mean, it's one thing to teach heresy. It's another thing to teach heresy and be sloppy about it. Enter monk and commander Arnaud Almaric, sent to the city of Beziers in, south, in the south of France, a holdout city of the Cathars. He's got his army to stop this rebellious people from further damaging Christendom. Sounds straightforward. But there's another problem. Faithful Catholics live in Beziers amongst the Cathars. And we're not just talking about a few people here and there. We're talking like 20,000 or more. In a sentiment that we would find familiar from the Vietnam War, when leaders couldn't identify friend from foe, Arnaud, when he was asked by his troops, how are we going to know who to kill? How can you tell a Cathar from a Catholic? His response was, kill them all. Let the Lord recognize his own. And so they did. Those who weren't killed right away were killed as the months went on, dragged behind horses, or used as archery practice, among many other forms of torture and death. The story goes on, and you can read about it on your own if you're interested. You may be wondering by now, why bring up such a low dark time in the church's history. After all, aren't the crusades used against us by our critics to prove that Christianity is nothing but a hypocritical sham? Isn't this kind of history better left in the past? Oh, it would seem so. But every time you hear, kill them all, let God sort them out, Remember what your Lord and Savior 
and teacher and high priest says about the weeds and the wheat. To paraphrase the parable in our reading today, T-shirts and bumper stickers should say something more like, Jesus will bring an end to this world. Let him sort everyone out. If we try to take on the task of doing God's just and divine judgment and extract the weeds ourselves, we will kill the wheat too. So let's take a closer look at this teaching. You've already heard the parable. Jesus wants you to picture the world as a field. And now, unlike last Sunday's parable, this one's got a little different problem. Instead of us people being the soil in which we receive the seed, which is the word, and it grows or doesn't grow, whatnot, in this parable, people are the seeds that grow in the field. Jesus sprinkles the field with people who are his children, the people of his kingdom, who receive faith and everlasting life. The devil sows weed seeds, and these seeds grow into his children and continue to grow and live. There are weeds growing in the midst of the church because, as you already know, the church isn't just this place or certain congregations. The church is all believers everywhere, the world over. So that's the field, the world, and the devil, Jesus and the devil are planting seeds. They're people. They're either Jesus' children or they're the devil's children. And we're not secluded either as the church, are we? We're not secluded. We live among the weeds. You know, unless you want to be a, a, a cult leader, right? And then seclude yourself in a, on, a, on a campus or something. But we've seen how that works for them, right? Well, their roots, the weeds' roots are, are, are insidiously entwined with us, the wheat. And I say insidiously because Jesus says the weeds are sown by the enemy. And they grow in a gradual, subtle way with harmful effects like false teachings, leading people astray from Christ, lies and deceits such as, you're a good person at heart, you don't need a redeemer because there's nothing, there's no such thing as sin. I mean, I know that's an obvious example, right? But, but there are very subtle lies like that. This was just one of the many problems of the Cathars. They believed they were the good people of the world, and therefore there was no need for any redemptive action on the account of Christ. He was just a leader, a teacher of morals. But because we're not secluded, weeds have, since the beginning of the church, come under the shelter of the church's roof and have done great damage. They abuse people, steal from them, mistreat others, causing spiritual and physical scars that may not heal for a lifetime. They're out to divide the church so it can fall more quickly and easily. The devil seeks to infiltrate and contaminate the wheat with his crop to put the witness and mission of the church at risk. So the big question is, how do we deal 
with the weeds. What do we do? Do we become weed-whacking crusaders? I mean, since the first century, evil and damaging influences in the church have needed to be weeded out. You know, the creeds that we speak every Sunday are an example. They are, they are however, a non-weed-whacking way of keeping the church intact. You know, this is what we believe. This is what we confess. If you don't believe these things and you don't want to confess them with us, we're not going to kill you. <laughs> but we entreat you to change your mind and walk with us towards the goal of eternal life. And if you don't want to do any of that, off you go. And there have been extreme measures to root out the weeds, such as the Crusades, Inquisitions, trials, roundups, massacres, and such. Even today, there is an ominous attitude brewing in some Christian circles that Christianity is some morally righteous force which should govern all things. And if you're not part of that camp, you're an enemy worthy of being despised. Well, there's no question we mustn't aid or abet or passively accept the evils that we experience and see, and see in society and in the church. We're called to speak the truth from the Scriptures, witness to Christ and His good news of forgiveness of sin and life and salvation, and not give up or give in. That's what we're called to do. Jesus, though, warns us in this parable against taking up the sword or the weed whacker and forcibly removing the weeds, tempted as we are to do so. In this parable, the landowner tells the hired hands to leave the weeds and the wheat to grow together. And notice the patience of the landowner. He doesn't seem overly upset by what the enemy has done. He doesn't respond with, Oh, I'll get him. I'll get my revenge on him right now. He tells the workers, Let's wait until the harvest. Then. Then. Could also be a warning not to be too quick to judge. After all, how can you tell a Cathar from a Catholic? You can't always tell the weed from the wheat. This is a mark of God's rule. He'll sort them out in his time, and he'll do it perfectly because he knows his own. Arno was right about that. But Christ does not want his people to be pulled up from the soil too, to be damaged or worse. Now some may ask, well, what about all the damage and loss the church suffers as the weeds in this world grow? We feel understandably anxious that if we don't intervene in some decisive way, the church's cause will be lost. I'm not saying this is an easy parable for us wheat. It's not. It's not easy to balance the need to stamp out evil when and where we can with the call to endure, lest the wheat be pulled out too. We can take comfort, though, in this parable as we find the gracious wisdom of Christ for us in the struggle 
and suffer under the choking weight of the weeds. The harvest is coming, and God himself will justly and truly judge. He'll sort them out. All people he will judge. He knows his own, and he knows who's not his own. He will bring it all to light on the last day. After all, he's the one who crafted the only plan that could save any of us from death, hell, and his chief enemy. We all deserve to be rooted and thrown into the fire, but God sent his son Jesus to suffer the torments of hell for us on the cross. Now, Martin Luther and his colleagues had to struggle against falsehood and damaging evil in the church even more than we do today, I think. And they referred to this parable in Article 7 of the Augsburg Confession, the one that talks about what the church is. They, too, recognize that there are people within or there are people in the church with not even a mustard seed of faith mixed in with true believers the world over. And they reiterate what Jesus says in that it's not up to us, but to God to judge who they are. This isn't to say a demoniac or a rabble-rouser who's out to do harm wouldn't be thrown out. He would. Jesus is talking about the weeds his enemy has sown who grow slowly, over time, undetectable, and their damage can't always be plainly seen. We must be patient too. We are called to trust Jesus, to be faithful in our lives of daily repentance and faith. He teaches us to be patient in suffering and live with the opposition around us, sustained by the hope that we cannot yet see. We know that the glory will finally be revealed and Christ will outshine all we have to bear now. And that is good news, my friends. So may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.